Hi everyone, welcome back to Behind the Craft. Um, my name is Amani, the host, and I'm very happy to welcome our very special guest today, Whitney Vangren. And uh, we'll get into the interview. Uh, so the first question I have is, what was your thought process behind your Instagram handle? And do you have like any specific reasons for keeping it to your name? I think it is from, I was always bad at coming up with screen name monikers or anything like that but also like I got the you know when Instagram first came about was when I got that and that was at a time when I was running um my own art space in New York called one-to-one it was like when I got out of school was like when Instagram came on the scene but it was like a little bit like before like it was way very different back Mm -hmm. then right and it was also very different um like having our uh sorry i'm just like getting in the mode but yeah get having um our space at a time when like that type of thing wasn't so prolific everywhere Mm -hmm. um and i just was like oh i'm gonna just go by my name that's like what you do and and, you know i'm just gonna keep it that way too um i go back and forth i've taken long breaks from it because Mm -hmm. i need to like have a distance and then i was talking to a curator yesterday who's like oh i have a instagram that's like just like, I don't follow anyone I know, and, like, mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, maybe I should do that, too, you know, so, yeah. or, like, the Finsta thing, and, but, yeah, I definitely, at this point in time, it just, it's, feels right, um, and it's also becoming an extension of the way that people find out about the work, but I'm also not super prolific on the Instagram, because mm-hmm. sometimes I have to take, like, long breaks from it, um, yeah. including, like, this past year, but, I've been getting on it a bit more, and my a friend of mine's been really encouraging. He's like, "Keep going, like share." So, um, but yeah, when it first came out, it was so different, right? Mm-hmm. It was like just it didn't seem like a thing that was like monetized or like that you had to do for your career. And mm-hmm. now that that's super apparent, and even just like social capital stuff too, it gives me like immense anxiety. So, I try to um, kind of balance between yeah. like personal and art practice and career stuff. Okay. Yeah. For sure. Um, next. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, when did you realize your passion for art and being an artist? And was there like a pivotal moment for you to take it more serious? Cause I know that you've graduated from UC Davis with your MFA. And now you're in yeah. residence. Um, well, I always ha- Art was always um, a big part of my life growing up. It was encouraged by my parents. My dad is someone who's kind of um, almost like an unrealized artist, but still has it in his life. Even mm-hmm. to, he's like in his 80s painting, but he's still like hypercritical with the painting. And I'm always like, Dad, just go. You're 83. Like, what does it matter? But... Um, so it's always been something that was in my life and encouraged, and it was just something that I was able to express myself with from a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to take it more seriously, I think when I was in high school, um, trying to get into programs um, on my own, like school, to get into a different school, like through my art practice and then to like start doing pre-college and just kind of going with that in earnest. And I did a program called the Oxbow School, which is in Napa, California. That was also kind of the trajectory, but of like being taken seriously as 
an artist and thinking of it as a path, a career, a path for life. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't go, you know, and then I went to Parsons for my undergraduate, but prior to that I was at like a large university cause I didn't know if I wanted to go to a uh, just exclusively art school. So mm-hmm. Davis was a really enriching way to have my master's because it was in this larger context of a research university. Right. Um, it was also a fully funded MFA, which mm-hmm. is like super important. Um, the other thing about taking yourself seriously as an artist, I mean, I've gone through like immense periods of like really intense self-doubt, mm-hmm. um, but then coming out of that and being like, oh no, this is the path. And like also looking towards other people in my life that, Mm-hmm. maybe aren't in the art world upper echelon but are still artists so like my aunt Tootsie my dad's sister she's like this amazing folk artist and I'm like well she's living like in the hills of rural Pennsylvania mm-hmm. like on homestead and she's still an artist and like I feel like that I will still be one regardless of where I am right. so yeah okay um what is your creative process when creating and does that depend on the art medium you're practicing Um, I have a lot of, uh, the creative practice, I often talk about it being, um, almost this, it's, can be very intuitive and then I go back and decode it, Mm -hmm. um, because it's all coming from somewhere. It's not necessarily just existing, um, in my own, basically, yeah, it's not only existing, in a vacuum, it's part of like a larger historical context, uh, whether that's like art historical or other, and it's also- To do that, you'll need to be on okay. No worries. <laughs> do you need Wi-Fi? Yes, I have Wi-Fi. Okay. Oh yeah, we got it. Oh, you got it? Yes. Okay, did I? Yeah. Uh, no, I asked- uh, Oh, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, yeah, so I go through this kind of pro- uh, practice of like, kind of intuitive or like um, improvisational art making, um, but it's rooted in like repetitive practice and kind of like owning my hand. And like, I have much more confident in Mm -hmm. what I'm doing now than um, even two years ago. So, and then kind of going back in and then mixing that with research too. So that's part of the decoding of it's like, okay, I'm like, having all this like fragmentation of the body and like what is that there's a history of dismemberment in art and in theater and all of this so kind of and in um mythology and folklore so yeah do you believe um has the pandemic hindered you or kind of helped you grow creatively and as an artist i think the pandemic actually was a time of like immense growth for me um it was not only like an incubation time for my art practice to really t- go back from the pressures of, you know, stardom or any type of ideas of success to just like go back and do the work. But I also, it was immense like healing period for me because I, um, during the pandemic was the start of my recovery and my sobriety. So that was also this intense um, personal transformation that has um, gratefully influenced my art practice as well. And then it also has been this time of like innovation and like how do you deal with, um, as a perf- as a live performer, how am I connecting with people? And it's also, that's like 
when I can't be with them, when I can't be in the room with them. And that's something that I have to deal with even when we're not in a pandemic because performance art is ephemeral and how can you connect with an audience after the fact when they're not present or, yeah. Okay. Have you experienced any challenges so far within the art industry or community? And if so, how did you overcome those obstacles? Yeah, I mean, there's been constant challenges, some self-imposed, definitely, like a lot of things that I've self-sabotaged and um, my own, you know, turmoil, whether it be connected to self-doubt or um, self-hatred and things like that, that manifests itself in, it manifests itself in um, drinking or like kind of um, imploding uh my momentum or like mm-hmm. relationships that's something that I contended with um just personally but like as I was navigating like New York art world type of things so um and again I say you know some of that was self-imposed but then some of that was just the pressures of that world but also mm-hmm. like the world that we live in that's like very motivated by um you know I was talking to someone else yesterday kind of you know, some of the pressures that I felt in New York that were hindering my practice wasn't necessarily just the art world. It was like larger capitalist context of like, oh, I don't have housing. I don't have, my job isn't fully supporting me. I have to like juggle all these things. And then I, not only that, like the work is, you know, not necessarily financially viable for me Mm -hmm. because of the type of work that I'm creating. Um, So that can be frustrating frustrating and painful and it's something that I definitely was in like kind of a a time warp a lot of times Mm -hmm. I talk about I was like I just kept on like making the same mistakes or like couldn't get out of it um but I think it was good to like have an upheaval of my life and like Mm -hmm. kind of switch it up and also reestablish my value system which was like stuff that was kind of core when I was a younger artist I mean I'm still young but like when I was like just graduating from school and felt that like there wasn't so much that pressure to be like financially successful because you were just being immensely creative and like you had to be really um kind of you just had to innovate in a way that with very little resources and like what that produced. And then when you got kind of older, you're like, well, I still don't have those resources. I should have them by now, you know? And I think that that's like the, you know, this trick that you can play on yourself and how to like subvert that again. And like I said, like reestablish my values system um, has been helpful to like navigate some of those traps that you can fall into. Okay. Does anyone or anything motivate you to continue to create? Um, I I definitely have very like there's so many people in my life that like really inspire me mm-hmm. to can you to keep going like fellow artists um, who I've seen also like overcome like immense adversity and conflicts. My friend Richard Kennedy, who's amazing, and I love him so much, and like to see what he's done in the past three years of like kind of working so hard and like having this turnover has been really expiring, but also the people who keep me going. I'm like 
immensely close to my mother and she's someone who I literally talk to every day, sometimes multiple times a day. And it's someone who has made me, you know, she, I've never felt doubt from her and mm -hmm. what I can do. So, um, that's something that's also this motivation. And then also the constant, like reaffirming of believing in myself too and just being like you're you can do this you're doing this for you too like yeah um you're living in it. you have to live in it so yeah yeah definitely um if you could collaborate with anyone who would you want to partake in a collaboration with uh is it dead or alive either or <laughs> okay yeah um hmm. yeah because i have a lot of artists who are passed away that i feel like um, but I also feel like I'm collaborating with them. Like there's something mm -hmm. about um, making work that you, it's almost a divination. So you are communicating with the dead, like through the work because you're like communicating with them um, via just having similar practices or like similar um, iconography. Um, I think that I would it's hard because some artists like, I don't even know how I would have collaborated with them. So I try to think of maybe filmmakers, like that would be something that I would love. Like if I could meet or be friends with Paul Tech mm -hmm. or, um, you know, do some spells with him F. Klimt, like do some paying work, like that would be amazing. Um, but like in my, someone who's alive that I would love to like work with and collaborate with would be like Cronenberg. Like I want to be in a Cronenberg movie. Like that'd be so cool. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, what was your experience like completing your MFA at UC Davis? And I know that you said you also went to Parsons. Mm -hmm. So how do you think they also differentiate? Yeah. I mean, Parsons was like a completely different well, you know, mm -hmm. I was kind of the, it was a means to an end because I wanted to be in the city. And it was mm -hmm. also Parsons at the time had a, a dual MFA program. So I got to study at Eugene Lang as well. Okay. Um, but it was a very small art department. It, mm -hmm. it had a, a historical context around it, but it was pretty small. But the thing about going there, which was beneficial was being in the city and also having professors, adjunct professors who were like, real working artists in New York. Like I studied with Nicholas Guanini and um, Martha Wilson, who started Franklin Furnace, mm -hmm. Franklin Furnace Archive. And Martha ended up, when I graduated, being like a key figure when I was starting art space because my friends and I were like, oh, we're maybe we're going to file for nonprofits. She's like, I'll give you nonprofit status through Franklin Furnace. Mm -hmm. So like that type of connection was like super supportive even though there was like problems within the institution itself and like mm -hmm. being in a design school while you're trying to make kind of subversive art um, or art that's like non based on a monetary system. So, but that person's still in my life and you know, that's something that's significant. Davis was beneficial again because um, of this desire to be in a larger research university and having access to uh, interdisciplinary practice and a practice that's also influenced by science and agriculture and botany like that was so enriching and the other thing was you know I was there the first year was during the pandemic so we were remote but my roommate and I 
we got along, we were both in the program together and we got along really well and we just took full advantage of um, this really amazing system, the UC reserves, which are these nature reserves that um, as students, you can go and a lot are doing field work, but as artists, you can go and do field work. So we would oh, get wow. to go to like Bodega Bay and Joshua Tree and Yosemite and like stay. And because we were roommates during the pandemic, like mm-hmm. nobody else was there. And we were like in these places, like making work, like doing, making films and paintings, like in these landscapes. And like, that was just, I wouldn't trade that experience. It was so, yeah, an yeah. amazing f- and so different than I think a lot of MFAs that maybe like Parsons would have happened at an art school mm-hmm. in a city where I like needed to be out in right. um, landscape and like experience that to the work. And um, I also just took full advantage of what mm-hmm. it was. You know, I think a lot of programs, you know, they're not without their problems and I'm not going to like mm-hmm. lay into them right now, but I think to be able to just be like, I'm going to take this for all I can within right. this short amount of time. Um, and all the resources that are available, like, including like I took full advantage of my healthcare and like yeah. got all my stuff, you know, got um, all my physical and mental health stuff going on. So that was like immensely significant too for my time there. Yeah. I think that's important as well. Just, when you're able to take advantage of the resources offered to you um, while you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you believe that art school is necessary, whether it be like a bachelor's or MFA, or you think it depends? Um, I think it really depends on the person, but I also seen like my really amazing, good friend, Raul de Neves, like did not go to art school and has, and he's amazing artist, one of the best artists and people I know. Um, and he was actually got to be a visiting artist at Davis and was like oh, wow. Professor Denieves. But Aww. he talked a lot about like, I did not go to a university and I didn't go to art school. And like, um, when we were working there, we also, he was working with students, but I found, um, at the time I was working at a bakery and one of my coworkers, I was like, oh, come be a part of this. And we were talking about like getting people in those systems, even if they're not, like, mm-hmm. even if they're not in school, because they're you know, the, those should be shared. So I, I definitely think it's not necessary depending on who you are, but I also think that school is wonderful. Um, I'm like a lifelong learner. I was someone as a child who struggled with learning disabilities, but then um, as an adult learner, kind of figuring out different ways that right. I understand material. And I think that um, that's something that I like have high praise for and I want people to like be able to you know so even if you just take a class somewhere I think that's really enriching um and it's also this environment that's can be you know it it has all the things that you need to like maybe do work you know like oh I have a safety net here and I have a studio and I have things that maybe I don't have um just without the institution but you can also create those um, outside of it as well. So, yeah. yeah. Um, how does the MFA program you're part of at UC Davis differ from your residency programs that you're currently? Um, well, you know, at Davis is it's with it, you're dealing with like the bureaucracy of a big institution, and so there can be a lot of like roadblocks and um, weird like 
hangups and all of this type of thing that goes with it and kind of navigating a lot of um, barriers that just happen within higher education. But within the residencies I did, and I'm, I'm still very new to residencies. I just kind of started to get into them. And the one that I did in um, Mexico City, the lab program, which is an amazing residency that's kind of more functioning as a lab and as a site-specific uh, project space. Um, and the thing about that program, which was so exciting and being in Mexico City in general is seeing people do work everywhere and mm -hmm. seeing people do open up domestic spaces and kind of like going in the streets and making creating work and right. that's something and without necessarily all of this red tape you know and mm -hmm. just like not having so many barriers to creation and that's what was really exciting um and something that I just want to kind of continue in that spirit okay um do you have a favorite project or piece that you've done um, let me think. I mean, it's hard because, you know, I go back and forth. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'll be like, oh, that was good. But one of the things that I always, or I'm like, oh, I don't like that anymore. Um, but one of the things that I stand by what, in my undergraduate, like when mm -hmm. I was like 21, I did like this piece called the Joan Cycle. Um, that was a Joan of Arc piece that was based on... Um, Carl Drow's Passion of Joan of Arc and Maria Falconetti's uh, like experience during the filming of that. And I did that work. Um, Iggy, Iggy. Iggy, no. <laughs> um, but I did that work as like a young artist and I was like, that was still good. Like I, yeah. and I, it was basically, I kneeled for the duration of the film and shaved my head on like Fifth Avenue and like in front of my family, my grandparents, my dad, you know, lit my hair on fire, <laughs> did oh, all wow. of this stuff and yeah. had like fake snow falling on me. Like it was just like really cinematic and beautiful. And like, even though it was something I did really young and kind of like not, I still think that was, I was like, that was good. And yeah. it's, it goes, I like what I'm doing now, but I'm like, it always building on of it. Right. So yeah, that one was good. Was <laughs> And then was there like a pivotal moment where you decided to focus on themes of anatomy and does sobriety um, play a part in your art as yeah. well? Yeah. Um, let me think of the pivotal moment. I don't know when, I think it was something that was, you know, illness and recovery were something that was in my life and in my friends' lives and in the place of family members that kind of navigating and um, expressing through the work. And I don't know the exact moment that it started to like manifest, but it, it probably was pretty early on. Like I remember when I was a teenager doing, um, cause my mother, the company does a lot of breast cancer research. Um, it's a wine company though, but like they funnel, her boss is like a survivor. So like okay. they were like funneling funds um from the sale of wine to like fun cancer research or whatever you know mm -hmm. but and I remember doing this like large-scale painting that was like um of someone who had had a mastectomy and that was one of an early anatomy work or worked at dealing with the physicality of the body um 
but then, you know, like I said, the, the experience of myself and of people around me, and then kind of this fragmentation and this uh, dismemberment of the body too. And then like going more into that, seeing that in um, an art history context as well with Paul Tech and Robert Gober and, um, you know, mythologies of like, in alchemy where like the king is dismembered and then mm-hmm. planted in the ground and like real real uh new life is regenerated from that space so like seeing like fragments <laughs> hold on seeing the fragment as a source of recovery <laughs> okay sorry oh no um iggy booze <laughs> troublemaker okay um and then, like I said, Bubby, no bark. No. He's like a cat. He like, <laughs> like free. Um, and that kind of breaking down and dismemberment um, was also something that happened um, as I was in the throes of like my alcoholism and addiction. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that like, when something like falls apart, isn't like necessarily the end, it can be like this place to like mm-hmm. rebuild um, right. and reconfigure. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that's what has connected the two worlds. But then through my sobriety, like getting really into non-alcoholic fermentation as this replacing of the ritual because ritual is really important to my art practice Mm -hmm. um but it was also important to like my social life as well and like how I was relating to other people um and not necessarily wanting to lose you know there's sometimes with sobriety there's this thing of like oh you're losing you're gonna lose this and you're losing that but then how can you gain all this but you're gaining it a bunch of other things and then also how can I like reconfigure what I you know because I don't miss the really dark things about my drinking but I do miss like because I was involved in like people who are doing natural wine and raw wine and my friends who are artists they run a company called enlightenment wines they make honey you know all that stuff was like really beautiful but I also through working with them I learned to make kvass um, which is this non-alcoholic Slavic drink so when I was getting um, sober, I was like, oh, I want to just really get into like non-alcoholic fermentation because I still really love that those that whole world, and yeah. I still and like, and then it kind of is like this thing where like, oh, there's whole like wonderful history, and it's also this like history of um, like you know, it's a lot of non-alcoholic fermentation is goes back like thousands of years and it's pre-colonial and it's all of these things that are like um tied to place and they're tied to community and um kind of understanding identity through uh food and drink and so that's something that's really exciting and I can kind of continue and because my practice uh is sensory and it's about like kind of linking um opening up an audience to have a more uh, 
active experience and not be like a passive audience member, how you can activate other senses and to do offerings were always part of my performances too. And so having this thing that's like linked to taste and um, smell. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of like the saying how food can bring people together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Do you believe that a solid support system is important, especially being an artist? Yeah, I I definitely do. I mean, I I have go through phases where, I mean, I'm also someone who is pretty independent and alone a lot, but um, I crave community as well and like having to have my support system, which is very much... Um, some immediate family members, but then through my MFA, I met some people who were like super solid, who I completely um, depend on in mm-hmm. in a way that's like very non non judgmental. Right. Um, but then also my friends and um, family that I made in New York mm-hmm. are still part of my life, even though there's this distance now, and like how you have to work at. Um, maintaining and like keeping those friendships and keeping those like fires um, in your life Um, but solitude is something that I relish in too and like kind of being out here in a residency that's like further away is really enriching too Um, but there's this whole like community of other grad fellows that I'm just like psyched on and I'm really excited to be with them as well and to kind of use this space as an opportunity um, to create that yeah definitely I definitely feel because I'm more of I'm naturally introvert and so for me I enjoy community and being around other like-minded and different-minded individuals Mm -hmm. but then I also find myself in states of need to recharge the social battery and being like I had to grow to be content in my own solitude Mm -hmm. I remember and but it's I feel like it's powerful in itself and you know it's okay to enjoy your own company because I feel like that's not maybe spoken about as much in society it's always about being around others maybe in the social aspect which is healthy and you know can be beneficial and something we need as humans but I also feel like there's beauty in solitude as well yeah Yeah. Um, reflecting in your past, uh, is there anything that you would tell your younger self? Maybe with what you know now or experiences you've had? Yeah, I think, um, also an MFA was a, a opportunity for me to teach. And that was like this experience of talking to my younger self and like okay. what I wish somebody would have told me. And, right. um, and I was really, the students at Davis were amazing. A lot of them, some of them were like older, like a bit older transfer students, but they were all like double majoring and like had all these like eclectic interests and they were really inspiring to like me, but also I was wanting to like be really nurturing of them right. and like making sure that they weren't stifling themselves by work never being something never being good enough you Mm -hmm. know because that was another trap that I would fall into like you know you kind of just don't even make things because it will never be this or that and then you get stuck because you can't you have to just kind of work through that so um 
I would tell my younger self, definitely be kinder to, you You know. Right. I mean, I have to tell that to myself now, too, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but just kind of the perseverance and enduring the moment, too, was something that my friends and I, which was a Courtney Love quote, <laughs> uh, but we would used to have to tell each other because, you know, when things are just, like, in the moment, it seems everything, the whole world is ending, um, but how you can kind of, move forward um right so yeah okay and with you mentioning during the mfa program your um the opportunity to teach Mm -hmm. is that something you think you might pursue in the future yeah i would love to teach at a college level again because Mm -hmm. i really vibed with the undergraduates they were just really inspiring the work was good and um I love teaching drawing. It made me rededicate myself to my drawing practice. Um, but I think now I'm going to be teaching little kids because Aww. that's like the job that I can get. Like I applied for, I mean, it's a competitive world yeah. like in higher education, but hopefully now I'm going to be um, teaching some like younger students, okay. which will be fun. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, what would you like to see from yourself in the future? Um, I definitely want to see, I actually did like a little ritual this morning, like a lunar, like a Virgo moon ritual, because mm-hmm. I have a Virgo moon. Um, and that was a lot of kind of dedication to just continuing on. Again, momentum is like the key word, I think, for this season for me, mm-hmm. and um, seeing what that will bring and if that's going to bring, like, I would love to work on like a more substantial film one day. Mm-hmm. I want to. I have a couple little goals and I've, I've made them in smaller forms. Like I wanted to make a cookbook. So I did like a, a zine that was a recipe book. And I'm like, Oh, I want to do that. Like why distribution, you know, this kind of like all those things are tangible and accessible, but I'm also excited to do, to have it be more widespread too. Right. Um, and connect with a larger audience. Right. So yeah. Kind of like being community oriented. Yeah, and, like, I I love to, you know, I'm oftentimes just performing for very few people or mm-hmm. accessing a very small group, um, and those have been really rewarding experiences, but it would be exciting to see where things can go when you, like, reach out a little further. Right. Um, what tips could you offer to artists who may be interested in applying to be an MFA student or even further with a residency? Mm-hmm. I think um, with both residencies and MFAs, it's this practice of just keep doing it. Like, mm-hmm. and also cast a wide net, like um, apply for like, um, if, if things don't have a fee, which hopefully most of them don't, um, just apply for them because mm-hmm. it's a good practice. It's a good for me. I just apply to sculpture centers open call, um, which is, um, in New York City and or in Queens, and it's regardless of if I get it or not, it was a really good practice, and it also is helpful because a lot of times they're like, "Oh, propose a project," so that's mm-hmm. like really you know. Then you have this whole catalog and database of projects that you can pull from and mm-hmm. um, kind of reconfigure, and it helps you rewrite your statement. It helps you like mm-hmm. reaffirm like what the work is, and you're just completely you know, continuing lead that work. Um, so regardless of if you get something, like, it's also 
just the act of doing it. Um, and I also had a friend, you know, who has gone in a ton of, my friend Jacoby Saltwater, like, has gone in, like, a million things, but he's like, I have applied to, like, thousands, you know, <laughs> they've applied to a lot of things. Yeah. And it can feel, even when you get a, a rejection, which I recently just did for something that I've applied to, like, eight times oh. <laughs> or, like, six times, you know, yeah. but you kind of have to just brush it off and not necessarily take it too personally because there's so many factors at play that have nothing to do with you or the work or you know so yeah keep that in mind and don't let that like whatever thing rejection letter you get like don't let it be something that hinders you from applying again or doing it or because i definitely have gotten in those times where i spent years that i didn't and it it just doesn't serve you or help. It's better to just kind of continue. Um, and, you know, ask for help too and ask for mm-hmm. friends to read your statements if you struggle with that. Like, I would oftentimes help my friend, you know, write it. I have my mom proofread things. Like, yeah. so. Definitely. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, lastly, is there an advice that you can offer to growing artists or those struggling to find their footing within the art community? Um, I think, you know, again, that you want to rely on your community, but also be able to, um, if you don't have that community yet, how you can like build yourself up, which Mm -hmm. is in whatever way that needs, maybe that's just in your room working, or it's also like working on the physical aspect of, um, navigating the world. Um, because you always are going to have to rely and fall back on that core comfort of being okay with sitting with yourself and with being alone, um, in this until you find that group or that place that's like can, um, give you that support. Um, but I definitely think in order to find like footing or your place, uh, you know, put yourself out there, like, in physical space, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's different for younger generations. Like, the digital space is really important, like, maybe more so than it is for me. But Mm -hmm. um, I think the physical space, like, going out, going to, like, going to cinema and, like, watching films in person and going to um, openings or events and kind of interacting in that way, especially as we're, like, coming out of a a time where we had we couldn't do those things um and those are going to be opportunities to meet people and then also go outside the art world sometimes too like maybe i found a lot of kinship like in like the culinary industry or people who are like working in the you know who are phd students who are working in the national park systems like there's Mm -hmm. all these different or in New York City, working with like urban agriculture and urban herbalists and people who are like really into plants, like all of those are creative, yeah. wonderful people that are going to be really amazing support systems too. Well, thank you so much for you know for the interview and for collaborating, and I appreciate having you here. Yeah, thank you. I'm like so honored and um, really inspired by you as well. Oh, so thank you. keep going. Um, Yeah, thank you. Thank you.